Romans chapter 6, we are, that's page 942 in those blue Bibles if you're using those. <clears throat> this is part two, we're kind of picking up where we left off last week, and I want to just repeat to you a few things. I am intentionally taking this section slow. By the way, last week I said, hey, read chap- Romans 6 verses 1 through 14. I'm not going to ask if you did that, I just hope you did. And I said, read it multiple times, and if you didn't do it, I'm going to ask you to do it again. In fact, I'm going to ask you just to read the entire chapter now, Okay. Read the entire chapter, Romans chapter 6, read it several times and keep reading it as we're making our way through this text. But I'm going to take this slow, and I'm going to repeat things that I've already said, and I'm doing that intentionally, because I want to, hopefully, my goal is to drive home the truth that's found in Romans 6, because I think it's so important, so critical for you, for me, for this church, for your family, for your life, for God's glory, okay? So that's what we're going to do. Now, last week, um, I told you that, I kind of showed you where we are in the book of Romans, and that the book started off with an introduction, right? It introduces the writer, and and he's talking about who he's writing to, and he talks about what he's going to write about the gospel, and then we get to the section called condemnation, where he talks about the fact that all are condemned before God because all are unrighteous, all are sinners, and then he gets to the section where we could label it as justification, He talks to us about how we can right that wrong, how we can be right before God. It's through Jesus Christ, through faith in Him alone, nothing else. Not law, not works, faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. And now we've come to this section that we're titling sanctification. Sanctification, and I gave you a definition of that last week from a book by Wayne Grudem called Systematic Theology, which is a a pretty big book that basically talks about different teachings and doctrines and explains those to you that we find in the Bible. Let me give that to you again, and we're going to come back to this again, and I want it to hopefully burn into your mind. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man, a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. Okay, that's a, leave it up for a second. That's kind of a You could say more about sanctification. There's certainly more to say, but that's a simple definition, and I think it's easy to kind of grasp. So it's something that we work, God is working in us and through us, but we cooperate with God in this work as he works through us, through his word, through his Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And as that happens, we become more and more free from sin, and we look more like Christ in our lives. We become more like him, which is God's goal for us in saving us, okay? So the message of the gospel is that by grace alone, right, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are freed not only from the penalty of sin, it's not just that, beloved, it is that glory be to God, right? We are freed from the penalty of sin, that's justification, but we are also freed from the power of sin, the enslaving power of sin. That's sanctification. You hear what I'm saying? Justification, sanctification. Do you know the difference? Justification. Freed from what? Penalty. What's the penalty of sin? Everlasting separation from God in a place called hell. Okay? Just to be a little more clear. What are we freed from in sanctification? Power, the enslaving power of sin. And beloved, sanctification and justification go together. They go together. They both 
have and play a significant role in the life of every true Christian. You simply can't have one without the other. Remember we talked about this last week? So if someone says, I'm justified, but that whole sanctification thing, that's for super Christians. Uh, that, and I'm, you, you laughed, right? But that is actually what has been taught in, from some pulpits. That that's for, for Christians who, who really get serious about the Lord and they make a commitment and then that sanctification process kicks off, you know? They do a little holy hop and then they're on their way to becoming like Christ. Or some would teach that there's some other second blessing that you get. You have to come into a place where the Spirit baptizes you and blesses you and that's when you begin to become sanctified. Okay, but it may not happen. You may just be justified all your life, but never sanctified. Okay, that, both not the case. Justification and sanctification, they come in a package together. You open the gift of salvation, boom, there it is. Justification and sanctification together. So, you know, I get fired up about this stuff. I understand, because this is serious, right? And you know I'm serious up here. If you saw me at Bunko last night, you know I'm not always serious. Those that are there, they know, man, I'm a little crazy. But listen, when we're talking about this, I get serious. I get serious because this is the, I mean, bunko, whatever, right? But this is important. This is life. This is life. So when someone says, listen, when someone says that salvation, I want you to hear this now. When someone says that salvation by grace alone through faith alone, because that's what we believe, that's what the Bible teaches. That's why we believe it. Not because we want to believe it. That's because that's what the Bible teaches. That's why we believe it, right? Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And if someone were to say, hey, that's a dangerous message. That's a dangerous message because then people will have no reason or motivation to stop sinning. They'll have no reason really to pursue righteousness since they can just say, I'm under grace. I'm under grace, Right? There's a bumper sticker. Maybe you've seen it. Christians aren't perfect. They're just, huh? So some of you have seen it? Now, let me, let me ask you. Is that true? It is true, guys. It is. Biblically, that's, a, that's an accurate statement. But a lot of times, what people take from that is, so it doesn't really matter how the Christian lives. You know, they can do whatever they want. That's because a lot of the people that, I, I got to be careful because I don't know if you guys have that bumper sticker on your car. So let me... <laughs> There are people who have that bumper sticker on their car, right? And they live more like the devil. And then they got that sticker, bumper sticker on their car, they're cutting people off on the freeway, you know, rah, 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 right? You know, yelling at people. Well, listen, Christians aren't, you know, you know, they're not perfect, but we're forgiven. And that attitude starts to kind of seep in, and people look at Christians like, you guys are pathetic, man. You're pathetic. My neighbor's nicer than you. And they don't go to church, right? So, People can start to say, it's that whole grace thing, you know, that's your problem. You guys say grace, 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 you're under grace. So there's no motivation for you to actually live right. Okay, that's not true. You can tell them, no, you're wrong. You're wrong about that because the Christian, the grace that they're under, you know that grace we, always, we like to talk about? It not only saves them, beloved, but it also sanctifies them. This is why I keep telling you, that grace that saves, sanctifies. And if there is no sanctifying grace in the life of that person, then there never was saving grace. Hello. Huh? That's what I, I said that last week. I'm just trying to say the same thing over and over again in several different ways so you guys really get this. 
And this sanctifying grace works in us to gradually transform us into the image or likeness of Jesus Christ. A better bumper sticker, I think, would be Christians under construction. A work in progress. That would be, that would be a good bumper sticker. That, that bumper sticker identifies our sanctifying work that's going. That's sanctification, right? The other one's talking about justification. That's right. We're forgiven. No doubt about it in Christ, but those who are forgiven are also being worked on. Okay. John Newton, you know this guy I've mentioned before. You know that, okay, you know that hymn, Amazing Grace? Who doesn't know that? If you've ever been to a funeral, I mean, typically that song is sung at at funerals, Amazing Grace, right? Yeah, sweet, right? You know the song? Does everyone know the song? Okay, John Newton was a slave trader. He didn't write the hymn, well, okay, so he was a slave trader, vile, filthy, disgusting. He got saved. He got saved. Eventually, he came to a place where he fought to abolish the thing he once did. That's the man who wrote Amazing Grace. And this is what he said, and this is a great quote. People have used it and changed it up, but I love it because it really defines sanctification. John Newton said this, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. You see that? Right? If John Newton went on being a slave trader, then I'd have every reason in the world to question his salvation, to question his Christianity. I would. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Let's read it. I don't know how we're going to get through this, beloved. We're going to do our best. Just... I tell you what, we'll, since you guys have been so, ah, no, we need to read it. This is the best part of the sermon when we read God's word. It is. It is. Hands down. Let's read it. 1 through 14. We're just going to read it because I want you to hear it all in its context. What shall we say then, Paul says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means, right? No. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must or you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ 
Jesus. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Powerful, powerful, powerful. In your outline, you'll find, or in your bulletin, you'll find an outline, and it simply says this. We're going to continue, as we will for many weeks to come, to examine Paul's important question, explanation, and exhortation. That's kind of how the passage, uh, I'm breaking the passage up, so that we might understand the true foundation for our sanctification and experience ever increasing victory over sin in our lives. Okay, and I asked you last week, who here desires to experience ever-increasing sin? Or, oh my goodness, I hope nobody, right? (laughs) Good, you were listening. That was a trick, right? I did that, no, I didn't. Ever-increasing victory over sin in their lives, huh? Who? Who? Amen, all right. The rest of you, come on, get with us, okay? Let's do this. Let's do this. That's what God has called us to. So Romans 6, 1 through 2, let's come back. Yeah, we've got the question, the explanation, exhortation. We're not even, we're still on the question and we're going we're gonna to still be there. So verse 1, what shall we say then? Remember, I'm taking it slow. I'm cool with that. You need to be cool with that too. This is important, very important. And most of you have come up to me now, many of you have said, hey, Jeremy, I'm okay with it. I'm okay. You take it slow. That's helpful to me. Good. For those of you who want it a little bit faster, I don't know what to tell you. This is how we're going to do it. Verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? This is where we left off last Sunday. As I said last week, this question, uh, question number two there in verse two, how can we who died to sin still live in it? That's the question I'm focusing on, okay, as part of the outline. It's a rhetorical question. It's a rhetorical question, which is a question that is put forth to make or emphasize a point rather than to obtain information or an answer. It's a rhetorical question. So Paul is asking this rhetorical question in verse 2 to demonstrate why the question he raised in verse 1, what's that question? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He's asking that. He's asking this rhetorical question in verse 2 to demonstrate why that question is an absolutely unthinkable idea and must be utterly rejected. Do you remember that? I said that last week. So here, let me, let me show you how it all fits together. Verse 1, are we, who are we? Who are we in the context? Who's he talking about? Christians, right? Are we Christians to, what's the word? Continue, continue in. Now, don't miss that word. Don't miss it. Now, Paul, listen, Paul didn't say, he didn't say, are we Christians who sin? He, he added something. He said, are we Christians to continue in, okay? You look up the word in the Greek, abide in. It could, you could say abide in, to live in it, to remain in it. Are we to remain in sin that grace may abound? That's that question in verse 1. And last week I talked about why Paul would even bring up this question. So if you miss that, you have to, for sake of time, I can't repeat everything, You have to go back and listen to last week's message online. But in short, I'll tell you, it's connected to the statement that he made at the end of chapter 5, where he says, sin increased. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. If sin gets worse, 
Grace comes in and covers it. Okay? And this question reflects the conclusions, this question in number two, or number one, that he gives. It reflects the conclusion that some may have drawn that the gospel of grace that Paul preached could actually maybe encourage people to sin. Or at the very least, this gospel Paul is preaching doesn't discourage people from sinning. I mean, if they know that where their sin increases, God's grace comes in and overbounds, then hey, what does it matter then? What does it matter, okay? So Paul's dealing with that. He's dealing with this wrong thinking. So Paul says, he addresses that, verse 2, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means! Paul says, that is absolutely unthinkable. Why, Paul? And here he gives this rhetorical question. How is it possible or even conceivable that we, that is Christians, right? We who died to sin. Now listen, that statement, okay, that Paul makes, died to sin, it's a statement of fact. It's made concerning Christians. It is something that has already happened to them. It's already happened. Do you see that? We died to sin. Okay? It's an event that occurred in the past and is true of every believer in Jesus Christ, every true believer, those who have placed their faith in Christ. I'll come back to that. It's important. So how can we, because of who we now are, okay, because of what is true about us, you with me? The truth being that we Died to sin. You follow me? How then can we still live in sin? Or continue to live, or you could say it this way, remain in a constant state of sin or sinfulness? And beloved, like many rhetorical questions, the answer is already assumed. It's not, an, it's not a question given to, to get an answer. It's a question that the, where the answer is already assumed. The answer is, we can't. We can't. We won't be able to. It's not possible. Listen, it's not possible for the true Christian to persevere in sin, to continue dwelling in it. And that is why it is absurd to ask if we should continue in sin that grace may abound. Okay, let me say it another way. The question in verse 1, are we to remain or continue in sin that grace may increase? would not be thought of as a valid or reasonable question by anyone who really understood what happens to a person the moment that they trust in Jesus Christ. At that very moment, they, you if you are a Christian, die to sin. And that reality, beloved, is the basis or foundation for the Christian sanctification, which is a process that begins at conversion, when a person gets saved, and gradually makes the believer or follower of Jesus Christ more and more free from sin and like Christ in their actual lives. Are you following me? Now listen, what I am saying now, now I'm going to back up a little bit. This is where I try to anticipate your objections or questions or concerns. Like I said, Paul does that all the time in Romans. He's a master at it. I'm so-so, but I try. Now listen, what I'm saying may confuse or puzzle some of you, what I've just said, because maybe you have claimed, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, okay? 
I'm just recognizing we have an audience here, many people coming from all kinds of different backgrounds and stuff, and, but maybe they're, you're here, you've claimed to be a Christian for some time now, or maybe you know someone, okay, for, who for years has professed to be a Christian. Are you hearing me? But in truth, your life or their life doesn't really resemble Jesus Christ. And there has been no real growth in likeness to Christ. And as far as sin goes, there has been little reduction of it over time. In fact, maybe its presence or its practice has even increased in your life. And I want to tell you that that scenario I just gave you is unfortunately all too common. And if that is the case, if that's true of you, or it's true of someone you know, and so you're wondering, wait a minute, Jeremy, I know this person, they've claimed to be a Christian for many years, but I, I, don't, see sanct- I don't see the sanctification thing going on, then there's, there's one, or two things that are, one or two things that are going on, okay? You ready? The first one, and I think it's most likely, at least that's been my experience, is if that's true of you or someone you know, you're not a Christian. Did you hear what I said? That's important for you to to hear me say that. Biblically speaking, it's not because I'm passing judgment on you. I'm saying based on what the Word of God says, if these things I just said of you are true, it's very possible you're not a Christian. Listen, just because you claim to be a Christian doesn't make you one. I've said that a million times, right? I can go into my garage and say, I'm a Ferrari, I'm a Ferrari. That doesn't make me a Ferrari. (laughs) It doesn't make me... I wish that was true. That would be awesome, but... um, Nor does praying a quick sinner's prayer that you don't really understand or you haven't really committed to. I've heard this over and over again, right? People, they pray a quick sinner's prayer. It just drives me crazy. Sometimes at the end of these television evangelists and stuff, they they haven't explained the gospel at all. They haven't talked about really Jesus Christ and and how he saves people and what you have to do to be saved and, and repent and turn to him in faith. They don't talk about any of that. And then right at the end, they go, hey, listen, if you want to be saved, just repeat this prayer after me. Have you guys ever heard that? Repeat this prayer after me. And then they think just there's power, like there's magic. It's like a, a cantation or something, like a spell. You know, like he's a, do- a witch doctor. I don't know. It's weird nonsense. Ma- if I just repeat this, these words, magically I'll get saved. Is the, there's no power in the words. The words are supposed to reflect a heart that's been transformed by the hearing of the word and the spirit of God. So confession is made based on what you believe, but if you don't even know what you're saying or you're really not committing to it because you're like, if I just say this, magically I'll be saved. And that's where a lot of people are. And they think they're Christians because way back in 1997, they, they prayed that prayer or they came down at an altar call with a bunch of everyone else who said, hey, let's go get saved, buddy. And they all went down there and they did a quick prayer and they thought they're, they think they're good. And yet no change in their life, none. And so what I'm saying is we're, the church has led a lot of people astray. And so now I'm coming back to the gospel, the true gospel, and saying, listen, if, and this is what Paul's saying, are you kidding me? Do you think you can continue in sin that grace may abound? Do you think that can be true of a Christian? Mm-mm. Because those who are justified are also sanctified. If you're not truly a Christian, beloved, then you have not died to sin, and that would certainly explain why you go on living in it. 
It would also explain why your, your life lacks the fruit of righteousness or the righteousness of Jesus Christ or any likeness to Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? It would explain it. Now, there is another possibility. By the way, do you think that's harsh, what I just said, that I would challenge someone's Christianity? Listen, I'm not doing it. The Bible's doing it. Do you think that's harsh? No, I don't think so. I've said this before, guys. It's the most loving thing I can do as a pastor. Can you imagine if I was just patting you guys all on the back? Oh, you're fine. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, yeah, your life doesn't demonstrate any qualities of being a Christian, any character. There's no proof of a new life in you. It's okay. You prayed a prayer. You're good. I'm sure I'll see you in heaven. Just put your check in the plate and we'll all be happy. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Come on now. You think I'm making this stuff up? This happens. Mildred, does that happen? Do you know that happens? Absolutely it happens. She's been around a little while, a little bit longer than some of you, so she knows she's seen this nonsense. Some of you rest are like, you're crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. I've seen it, guys. I've seen this. So here I am. I'm saying, hey, the most loving thing I can do is Man, I'm hoping if you're not saved, but you're thinking you're saved, and all of a sudden you're hearing the gospel, you're going, I don't know now, I don't know, maybe I'm not. That's good, I want you to wrestle with that. Maybe that's the Spirit of God saying, hey, buddy, you're not, that's right, wake up. If they tried to convict you as a Christian in a court of law, they could never do it. There's not enough evidence. Huh? Okay. I don't know how to, I know, I don't, the clock is my enemy. It just always is. It's my enemy. That's why eternity is awesome, because there's no time kept. (laughs) Do you understand that? That's right. God can preach and preach to us. Oh, man. And we're not going to be like, it's time to go. There's no clocks in heaven. Oh, I'm so looking forward to that. Anyway, another possibility, because I want to give you this one too. And this is, Wayne Grudem suggests this in that book. You know, he gave that definition of sanctification. In that book, I think I'll bring it next week to show you guys, okay? And maybe encourage you maybe to get it. Systematic theology. He's talking about, listen, he's talking about the process of sanctification. The process. And he says there that at times Christians make progress, and at other times Christians can actually regress, uh, go backwards. Okay? So if you think, you know, I become a Christian and then, woo, this is such an easy road. I'm just, look at me. Woo! I'm getting better and better, right? But for the Christians, sometimes, ooh, you know, ooh, backwards, right? Did that look cool to you guys over there? Because they saw what I was doing. (laughs) Okay. Um, Christians can go backwards. They can regress. They can go forwards. They go back and forth, right? But there's this ever kind of like the noise of sin in their life quieter. So they can have time, seasons where they, they're struggling bad, okay? So sanctification is not a one-way street to just, oh, look at me, I'm like Christ. It's not like that. But there is progress, right? Is that right, Edgar? Is that right, Mildred, right? You saw me seeing, is that right? Is that right? Okay, now in the extreme case here, I'm going to quote him now. Listen, in the extreme, this is, these are his words, in the extreme case, a believer who makes very little use of the means of sanctification don't, don't read anymore. Don't read it. Don't read it. Stop. Look at me. Look. Look. Because you're going to read. I don't want you to. Okay, they're making very little use of the means of sanctification. You know what I'm saying? They, sometimes we use terminology. You guys don't. Means. All right. The, the, the things that help us become more sanctified. So they're using, they're not using those things. Can I tell you one of the main things that God uses to sanctify you? 
Okay, his word is one, but that's not what I was going for, but it's good. It is his word. Oh, yeah. The church. Now, you know I'm serious now because I just came out from behind the pulpit. Now I'm getting real with you. (laughs) You know I don't do this very often. The church. It is the church, beloved. You can't read the New Testament and not realize that God's plan is to sanctify his people by bringing them together in the local church. That's where the one another's are practiced. That's where you have an opportunity to offend another brother. <laughs> and for that brother to exercise forgiveness. That's where you have the opportunity to serve one another, to love one another, to care for one another, to take the gifts that God has given you and use them for the benefit of one another, to exhort one another, to rebuke one another, to encourage one another. That's where the one another's occur in the context of a local church. And beloved, that's why commitment to a local church is so important for your sanctification. Real, serious, honest commitment. And one of the ways we express that is through formal church membership. Do you see the connection now? Well, I think it's so important. So, all right, there are other things. The Spirit of God, the Word of God. Hey, guess what? That's all there in the church, hopefully. Hopefully. Because, I mean, that's why, as I've told you before, you you got a local church who's not focused on the Word of God. Run! 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 Because your sanctification is at risk. All right? Let's finish that thing now. So they, here's what he's saying. In the extreme case, don't, we're just going to pick up where we left off last week. This is just going to become a long run. And I know, Jeremy, all you did was read the passage. You haven't even gotten to the question still. I get that. But hey, I started late, okay? We started a little bit later. I'm tired of making the nursery worker sitting there out, you know, a long time. And they are, I'm telling you, I have received threats. And I'm, I'm getting nervous. And, um, but I remember I was saying I was taking this slow. Do you know, because this is lacking, beloved. It's lacking in the church. Uh, these, these teachings, this understanding about sanctification is lacking. Okay? So just bear with me. In the extreme case, a believer who makes very little use of the means of sanctification, but rather has bad teaching... Bad teaching. That would be something like, oh no, like I was telling you earlier. Sanctification and justification don't necessarily go together. You can be saved and then you might live like a, a wretch. But you're still saved. See, the confusion comes when we step over the line and say, well, the way you get saved is by living righteously. That's not true. The saved will live righteously, right? The fruit, right? It follows fruit attached to faith. It follows. It doesn't produce our salvation. It's a result of our salvation. So that's where we get mixed up. But then to say, oh no, a person can do whatever they want, live however they want, and I still believe they're a Christian. No, not. You have no biblical grounds for that. You get my point? You see I'm saying the same thing over and over again? Because people are confused, right? So they have bad teaching. Guess what? Bad teaching equals bad thinking. And then it goes on. Lacks good Christian fellowship. Do you know people, you know, they might lack good Christian fellowship. They pay little attention to God's word and prayer. They may actually go for many years. So he says, in this extreme case, remember the first one I said, 
If that's true of you, likely you may not be a Christian, but here's the other, here's the other possibility. You've made very little use of your means of sanctification. Maybe you had bad teaching. That's possible. You've lacked good Christian fellowship. You don't really pay attention to the Bible. You don't spend time in prayer. These are all means of sanctification. And it says they may actually go for many years with very, what's the word? Little progress. He didn't say no progress, but yeah, certainly. They could have little progress in looking more like Christ and reducing sin in their lives. But then he says, but this is certainly not the normal or expected pattern of the Christian life. It is, in fact, highly abnormal. 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 That means not normal. It's not normal. That's not what you would expect, right? So I find this fascinating because, remember I told you, it's very common for me to get this experience where people will come and say, oh, I'm a, I'm a Christian, and okay. And then as you get to know them, you realize, wow, how long have you been a Christian? Oh, years, you know. A Christian, high school. And they're 40, 45. Huh? No sign of Christ-likeness, not really. Nothing tangible, nothing substantial. They're still kind of awash in their sin. They're, they're really not living lives of repentance. They're not pursuing after holiness or righteousness. They're not doing those things. Yet they claim to be Christians. Is, is it possible they had bad teaching? And it's possible, it's possible. But can I, can I show you something? Now we're going to flip to another verse. Hey, we're going to finish here. We're going to finish here. We're not even going to get back to the text. But you guys... Come back next week, all right? How about flip to the right? Could you flip to Hebrews? Let me show you why I, I just don't think that's a reality or, or really possible in a lot of cases. That's what I was going to say. I'll say Hebrews 12. Flip to Hebrews 12. It's to the right, page 1009 if you're in those blue Bibles. I want to show you something. Hebrews 12, we're going to pick it up in verse 5. Now listen, the reason I was going down that line of train of thought is the writer says, and I agree with him, that that's the exception to the rule, Right? But So that would be very rare, and yet many people who are in that situation, that's exactly what they claim. Oh, that's why I haven't been, you know, that's why I haven't been transformed into the image of Christ in any significant way. It must be because I, I just haven't, you know, had good teaching and so on and so forth. I think that's the exception to the rule, especially after years go by, years go by and nothing. Why? Okay, Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 5. I'll read it and just make a few comments. Listen. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, as sons of God? Listen, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son or daughter, all right, whom he receives. What does the Lord do? He disciplines those that are his. Now, what does that mean? Immediately, you may think of spanking or something. That's certainly included. He, he trains them. He, he corrects them when they need correcting. He, he's taken ownership of them. Okay? He's, he's taken responsibility for their lives. He's in their lives like a good father is. It's not, God's not an absentee father. He just... whatever, he just lets you do your own thing or walks away. Not our God, no. He's active in the Christian's life. All right, listen, read it. Verse seven. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons or daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Huh? Listen, 
Listen to this next one. If you are left without discipline, if it's not happening in your life, if it's not occurring from God, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. You're not really, you're not really children of God. If, there, if What the writer of Hebrews is saying is if, if there's no evidence of God at work in your life through discipline, through, through this process, then why in the world would you think that he's your father? Huh? Huh? And everyone runs around going, oh, God's my father, God's my father. I'm sorry. You ha- he has to become your father. You have to become a child of God. You do that through salvation. And those that are his will be disciplined by him. That's what the word of God says. That's what it says. So here we go. Verse 9. Besides this, listen, it gets better. We had earthly, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, who's he? God, disciplines us for our what? Good. That we may share his holiness. That's sanctification, beloved. That sin may be reduced in our life and we may look more like Christ. Verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Right, children? Rather than pleasant. But later, it yields, it produces, here it is, the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So I showed you that verse. I took you there to this section to show you why I think more often than not, people who have no evidence of God really at work in their lives should not be claiming they're a Christian, nor should you be telling them they are or encouraging them in that. And this is where it becomes, I'm going to just talk to you from the heart, it becomes real difficult. Because as parents, we have children who we raise in Christian homes and we tell them the gospel and then... We think that they maybe they became a Christian and then they begin to grow up and their lives, you know what I'm saying? They don't demonstrate that. So in your heart, right, as a parent, you don't even want to try to deal with the reality that your child might be lost. So many times what we do is we just say, they're saved, they're just, you know, I hope they come back to the Lord. Is it, is it possible? Are they going through a season where they're just rebelling, I'm going to say, I'm, I get it's possible. It's possible. Is it probable? It's not probably probable. Why? Because it's possible because God doesn't just let them go. He will bring things, if they're his, they, he will bring things into their life to bring them back. He will drop them to their knees if necessary. Some of you have testimonies concerning this. You try to run, you can't outrun God if you're his. You, do you understand what I'm saying? So what I say is, instead of just thinking they need to come back to the Lord, maybe you should be saying they need to come to the Lord. Maybe your prayers need to be different. Maybe you need to speak to them differently. Maybe you need to stop saying to them, you need to tell them the truth. I don't, there's no reason for you to be thinking that you're a saved believer and there's no reason for you to have any hope of heaven. Right now, 
I believe, based on the word of God, you're under the wrath of God. If you died, you would find yourself in hell. And I'm dying inside because of that. You see what I'm saying? Speak to them differently. Speak to them as the word of God instead of saying, I hope you just finally get with it someday, but you know, we'll all see each other in heaven. That's dangerous, guys, especially when there's no evidence for sanctification in their life. And if there is no sanctification, if that's not happening, you can't see it, then what else do we know is true? There's no justification. Do you see why I keep saying they're linked together? Do you see that? Do you see it in Romans? Well, you'll see it more. You'll see it more. And that's why I say read chapter 6. Read verses 1 through... Well, that's what I said last week. But now I want you to go. I want you to excel. So to verse 23, thank you, brother. Verses 1 through 23, chapter 6. Read the entire thing. See if you see what I'm saying. Pray and ask God to help you understand this as we make our way through it. Okay? Would you do that? Would you do that? And... And let me just say, on, i got to close with this. On the other side, there have been people, even in this congregation, that I, I, I believe with all my heart that they were saved and then they had a season of mess in their life because they, they didn't have a good church. And uh, they did get bad teaching. I've seen that too. I have. And then they'll say things to me like, since we've been coming here, um, wow, I see a real difference in my life. You know why? Spirit of God, Word of God, good teaching, not because I'm good, because we're, teach, we're teaching this out of here. You understand what I'm saying? Good teaching, solid teaching. We're just going right from the Word, and all of a sudden, things begin to change. That means of sanctification is real and active in your life. If you get around real people of God who are serious about the Lord, things start to change. Do you see what I'm saying? So I've seen that. That can happen as well. But I'm just so concerned in my heart that there's just a lot of people who are thinking they're saved and they're not. Let's pray. Father, do I I'm just trusting you, God. Work in work in the hearts of those that might be here, or maybe uh, maybe they will listen to this sermon online. They weren't able to make it today, they'll listen to it in the weeks to come. Father, if they if they don't really have a relationship with you and they're thinking they do. And there's no evidence really for it. Would you, would you please convict them through your spirit? Would you convict them of that truth? Would you, Lord, would you open their eyes? Lord, I, I know there's parents here with kids who, who were raised in a, in a Christian setting. They went to church, and now they've, they've stepped out of the home, and their lives don't reflect Christianity at all. They may even be living in sin. They're just, they're continuing it. They're abiding in it. They're not repentant. They have no desire for the things of God, no real desire. It's heartbreaking. (laughs) Father, I join with those parents. Now, I join with them. They might speak to them the truth of your word. 
They might confront them in love. Tell them the truth. That they have real concerns about their salvation. They, they, don't, they don't believe them to be saved based on what the Word of God says. There's no evidence. No sanctification. Nothing's happening. They're going in the opposite direction. Father, may they, may they speak to them and may they speak to them again the salvation of grace. May they warn them. May they warn them, Father, of, of not or of rejecting that gospel, of continuing down that path. May they warn them of the consequences. May they plead with them. And Father, by your sovereign grace, may you, may you save them. May you, for real this time, open their eyes and unplug their ears. Grant them a heart that can respond to the message sincerely. Give them faith that they might believe. Father, cause them to be born again. That they might really be saved. Please, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.